Will you join me in prayer this morning? Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ and for the love that we discovered through him. Draw us deeper, deeper to you. So that we might be able to appreciate your grace even more. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for Jesus Christ. This is his name that we pray. Amen. I appreciate your kindness this morning. So many of you have come and wrapped your arms around me, given me hugs, told me that you have been thinking about me. And I just can't tell you how great that feels, you know, it being Preacher Pastor Appreciation Month, that you would pour that out on me, you know, today. Or for those of you who are visiting, I went to Auburn, okay? Thank you. I went to Auburn War Eagle, and I learned grace at Auburn. I learned grace at Auburn, and yesterday, I and some of my closest friends wanted to share that with the Volunteer Nation, and, and I even decided to, to take some friends along. Took Tim Edmonds with me. Cecily was, um, or excuse me, Channing went as well. Her first college football game. And because I thought, wouldn't it be great to have your first college football game to be the first game that the volunteers have won in, I don't know, a long time. And so um, I thought it'd really be, it'd really be great. And, and so we just kept giving grace to Tennessee. We... We gave an interception and then we decided to give another because they enjoyed it so much and that wasn't enough. So we gave a fumble and, and let them run it into the end zone for a touchdown. And, and finally at the end, we just said, hey, we'll just give you the game. Here, go ahead and, and, and take it. And, and then when all was said and done, we just gave Tennessee our stadium. We just said, here, you guys just stay and sing Rocky Top till your heart's content and, and woo and all that, you know. You know, I used to be a woohooer. You guys know that, right? We've talked about that here together as our church. I just don't woohoo as much now after yesterday. <laughs> I boohoo, that's right. <laughs> that is right. Oh, hey, great, great stuff. Hey, we were glad we could share grace because Satan, I mean, Saban is coming to Knoxville next week and... Uh, <laughs> You know, you, you needed a little bit. Um, you needed a little bit. Hey, on our way home last night, uh, I was navigating. Uh, Tim was, was driving. And as we came to, uh, to Atlanta, you know that, I mean, there's always road construction, right? There's always something going on. And as we were approaching uh, Atlanta, there were signs up, you know, saying road construction ahead, expect delays. And so... Pulled out my phone and typed in on that Waze app that many of you, I'm sure, use. You know, our destination, we were trying to make it back into Chattanooga, and we had asked Waze to help us navigate around, Chattanooga, around Atlanta so we could get back to Chattanooga. And so, and in this nice voice, 
Ways began to talk to us and tell us where, where to get off and, and where to turn. And so I'm sitting there and I, I'm holding my phone and I'm telling Tim, all right, look, in about, in about a mile, we're going to need to, we're going to need to turn right. Just keep on going, keep on. Everything's going to be good. And he said, now, is it going to be this next light? And I said, yes, it says it's going to be this next light. Go ahead and get in the turn lane. And, and so he gets in the turn lane. And about the time we start to turn, Ways decides that, you know what, there's a quicker way. And the quicker way is not to turn right at this intersection, but to turn left at the intersection. And Waze says, turn left, turn left. And I'm going, turn left. He said, you said turn right. I said, no, turn left. Where? Right here, right now. I think he only broke five laws. I think that was all. As, as we went from the right-hand turn lane and turned all the way back over to the left at this, at this intersection, but such, such is the life when you trust in the one that's giving you direction. We're starting something new today, just for a few weeks, called the intersection of grace and me. Now, if you're new here to East Brainerd, we've been talking about grace the entire year. We've been talking about grace ever since January in all kinds of different ways and in different facets. And we have looked at the theological underpinnings of grace. And we've looked at how grace was displayed in different characters throughout Scripture. We have, we have seen how grace should make an impact and, and change in our life. And I appreciate so much, Sean, last week talking about the impact that grace has on the way that we treat our enemies. You did an awesome job. But there comes a time and place where we have to decide which direction that we're going to go. You know, my fear is that after hearing all of these lessons on grace, that there's not going to be a change. That we're going to put in all this time and study and we're going to hear all of these different lessons and we're going to be praying over grace and we're going to be singing about grace and yet there's not going to be a tangible impact that actually takes place in our individual lives and in the lives of our congregation. Now on your glory, praise, and honor, you are going to see something there that we first put up months ago, way back in January. It's Shepherd's Turning Table. And for those of you who were here at the very beginning for this study, you know already what I'm about to say. You already know that those two tabletops are the same. Right? They are. Now for those of you who came in after January, you're, you're really wondering about our sanity right now. And what it is that we're trying to get over on you. And, and what's the joke? And what's the catch? But there is no catch. The, these tabletops are actually the same. It's an optical illusion where you think that they are different. The first time we did this, we had elders' wives cutting out in the middle of the lesson these tabletops to be able to take one and put it over on the other. Now, if you want to do that, you have already received permission, okay? If you have to do that again, just to see, go ahead, cut it out, tear it out, whatever you need to do, and to be able to see that this illusion is in fact just something that is playing with your mind. Because those tops are the same. Now the knowledge that you have, that the tops are identical, it has no effect, however, when it comes to diminishing the illusion. 
The mind's automatic understanding is so confident that those two tables are different. That no matter what I tell you, you cannot see them as being the same. The gentleman that came up with this illusion, psychologist Roger Shepard, he said it this way. Any knowledge or understanding of the illusion that we may gain at the intellectual level remains virtually powerless to diminish the magnitude of the illusion. You see, even though we know, we cannot see. And that's my fear. That we grow in grace. But there's no corrective effect. I shared at the beginning of the year how that I've been in a lot of classes that have talked about grace and I've heard a lot of lot of lessons on grace. My library has books on grace, but the best teacher on grace has been my own story and the story of others just like yourself. Individuals who have truly experienced the grace of God because we trust in those things that we have experienced and our experience then gives meaning to our knowledge. And Paul used the idea of grace more than 100 times in his writings. You read through his letters to all of those Christians so long ago and you read time after time that he's talking about the idea of grace. And his expectations are motivated by his own experience. You see, as he's trying to write to people who are Jesus followers and helping them to wrap their minds around the heart of grace and understand something that just does not make sense, he says, well, let me tell you about my own life. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, Paul, Paul makes a great comment here. He says, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. He says, I haven't just heard about grace, I've experienced grace. I didn't just read about it, I didn't just have it talked about to me. He said, I have had it poured out where I have been marinating in it. I am soaking in it because it has been poured out on me abundantly. And because of that, he says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He says, of who I am the worst. He says, listen, this is what you need to write down. If you want to take something to the bank, he says, this is it. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. And he said, for this very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul goes, look, if you want to know what grace is, I am the perfect example. Because I am the worst of sinners. I am the one. I am the chief. I am the one that is out in front. I am the one that has disappointed God the most. That is his feeling. That is how he sees himself when he looks in the mirror. And maybe some of you think your life gives him a run for his money. That you would arm wrestle him over the title of chief of sinners. You say, I think it's me. You see, we don't have a difficult time. We don't have a difficult time 
understanding and gravitating toward the Paul who says, I am the worst of sinners. We relate to that dude. The dude that we have a hard time understanding is the one who says, but I have had God's grace poured out abundantly on me. And yet I'm here today to tell you that you too can have a grace experience. That your story and mine can be grace-filled. Because at the intersection of grace and me is the truth that Jesus came to save sinners. That's what happens when grace When grace, I run into it, I have to come to this understanding that you know what? Jesus did. He came to save sinners. And so, some of you I know right now, you're already, you're ahead of the game. Many of you, man, you love to fill in the blanks whenever they're on the front of the GPH. And you're already there and you're writing in, sinners, go ahead and mark that out because that's not what I want you to put there. I got you, didn't I? I know, I bolded it and underlined it. You're like, this is what he does all the time. Why is he changing it? Because I want to play with your mind. And also because I don't want you to leave this morning with this general idea that Jesus came to save sinners. I want you to leave with this idea that Jesus came to save me. Will you write that down? Will you put that in the blank? And will you believe it this morning? That Jesus came for you Grace came for you. Do you believe it? Do you believe that you can be and are saved by grace? Because my fear is that all the talk about grace, all this conversation, and yet you leave here thinking that grace is for everybody but you. That grace is for every family but yours. That grace can reach every child but yours. That somehow God's love and God's mercy can be poured out upon humanity and you miss out. When you intersect with grace, you have to be able to say that Jesus came to save me. And can I be blunt for a moment? If... If you're the one that thinks that for some reason that grace is for everybody but you, can I just tell you to get over yourself? Is that too harsh? Just to get over yourself? Because you're sitting there this morning thinking about your sin and your past and and your choices and your temptations and your addictions and you think that yours is stronger than God's grace? Really? Get over yourself. Your sin, while bad and while ugly, it's not that bad. It's not that ugly when compared to the grace of God. And yes, your temptations, they are there with you every single day. And it seems like day in and day out, you were doing the things you said, I'm not going to do. And there you go. And you do it again. But it's not too much for God's grace. And I know we have individuals in the room who are addicted to to many different things. And yet that addiction is not, is not so strong that God's grace cannot speak into it. You say, but I'm a Christian and my desires are anything but Christian. No child of God should have these struggles or no child of God would have these battles. And God might have given me grace like, like Casey said. God might have given me grace when I was 10. 
But now, now where I've come after these 13 years for Casey, after the, the, the 25 years for you, the 50 years, whatever it might be, now at this point in time, I don't think God's grace, I don't think God's grace is there for me anymore. And friends, that's Satan sowing seeds of shame. Because if he can't seduce you with sin, he'll leave you sinking in your guilt. And nothing pleases him more than for him to see a child of God cowering in the corner, thinking that he or she can never be a part of the kingdom again. And so we say things like this. Chris, can't you just go to the well of grace too many times? I mean, can't you? And we determine... I just don't think I deserve to ask for God's forgiveness again. Now forgive my bluntness again, but who told you that you deserve God's forgiveness the first time? Who told you that? Who told you that when you first came to an understanding of God's saving grace that you were worthy? Who told you that you had earned it? Who told you that grace was for you because of just who you were and what you had done and, and how great you had lived? Who convinced you of that lie so that now you look and say, well, I can't have grace anymore because I just don't deserve it now. You never did. I never did. And that's the whole point of grace. Because if you deserved it, Jesus would not have had to come. Jesus would not have had to die. There would have been no crucifixion. There would have been no need for a resurrection. Because you didn't need grace. Because you had your obedience all wrapped up. And your relationship to God was already perfect. Answer this for me. When you came to Christ, do you believe that, that he knew every sin that you had committed up to that point? I think you did. I think that's one of the reasons that you came to him in the first place. Because maybe it was a message that you had heard. Maybe it was the home that you had been raised in. Your own study and experience that you had. Something told you that you know what? I am a sinner and I am in need of the grace of God. And maybe you didn't walk down an aisle somewhere. Maybe you ran. Maybe it was at a Bible camp. Maybe it was at a fishing lodge with your family over a vacation. But you said nothing is going to stop me from confessing my faith in Jesus, from pouring out my heart before him, throwing myself on the altar of God and saying, God, please, Lord, save me a sinner. Wash me. And you remember that moment. The moment when you came up out of the water and, and there was this newness about you. You remember the, the energy that you felt, the excitement that you had, the relief perhaps that was going on. Because Christ knew every sin that you had committed up to that point and you wanted to make sure that you were going to be right with God. So did Christ know every sin that you would commit in the future on that time too? Yeah, I think so. He knew that as well. So Jesus saved you knowing all of the sins that you had ever committed and all of the sins that you would ever commit and yet he was still willing to call you his he was still willing to accept you 
Even though he knew every mistake of your past and every mistake that would come in the future. Doesn't it sound like that God is proving his point? Because if your sins were too great for God's grace, he never would have saved you in the first place. He wouldn't have been able to. Knowing who you are and what you do, knowing your thoughts, knowing how easily you give in to temptation, if your sins were too great, then there would have been nothing for you in the beginning. Because if grace could not save you then, then it definitely cannot save you now. Your temptation, your struggles, my sin, it is not late breaking news in heaven. It doesn't surprise God because he saw it coming. So is there a reason to think that the one who received you the first time will not receive you again or every time? You see, the same one who saved us first is still there to save us still. Now fill this one in on your GPH. There is never a point at which you are less saved than you were the first moment that Jesus saved you. Do you believe that? See, just because you were grumpy at breakfast this morning doesn't mean that you were condemned at breakfast. And some of you, let's be honest, you were grumpy at breakfast. And when you lost your temper yesterday, you didn't lose God's grace. Your name doesn't disappear and reappear in the book of life according to your moods and, and actions. You were saved not because of what you do, but because of what Christ did. That is the message of grace. And that is why Paul, the one who says, I am the worst of sinners, would say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you've never opened your Bible to Romans chapter 8 and highlighted verse 1 and put all kinds of little shiny stars around it and arrows pointing and drawn all those little cutesy hearts and emojis, then you need to do that today. Because this is your verse. This is the verse that the child of God clings to in those moments when you are so riddled with guilt and shame because you know you've let your God down. And you know you haven't been loving your enemy. If anything, the hatred has been boiling up within you. And you hear a message like Sean gave last week and you leave saying, what am I to do? And the answer is, believe in God's grace. Believe that the grace of God not only saves you, but sustains you. You see, I, I understand we struggle with sin. I get it. But who outstruggled with sin? It's that worst of all sinners, dude, Paul. It's him, the one that talked about grace over 100 times. And just before he penned the words that you see there in your Bibles in Romans chapter 8, he would pen these phrases. He would say, I do not understand. It is sin living in me. I do not do the good that I want. He would write, what a miserable man I am. And as he writes in chapter 7 to the church in Rome, he writes in the present tense. He's not describing a past struggle. He's not describing something that he went through long ago. He is writing to the people of God about the grace of God. And he is saying, right here, right now, I need that grace. Because I'm in the midst of my sin. 
For all we know, Paul was engaged in spiritual combat even as he wrote the letter. And can you think of a more strategic time for Satan to attack? Because it could have been possible that Satan feared the fruit of his letter to the Romans. The change that maybe it was going to make, not just then, but this morning, right here, right now, as you are looking here on the screen, as you are reading in your Bible, learning, having that grace of God become more real to you. And I don't know, maybe, maybe Satan fears your life. Could it be that maybe you are under attack not because you are so weak, but because you are to become so strong? Could that be why? And perhaps Satan hopes that in defeating you today, he will have one less missionary, one less writer, one less singer that he's going to have to fight tomorrow. You know, I don't know. I don't know if we're ever going to be able to understand the grace of God. And that's okay. Because there's a lot of things in life I don't understand. I mean, how Auburn could lose to Tennessee. I mean, I don't... Um, a lot of things I just don't get. A lot of things I struggle with. Fax machines. Anybody struggle with fax machines? Those of you who are younger, you have no idea. That's one of those things for my age and up. Shocking. Amazed us. For others of you, Twinkies. Those are things that just, you know, how do they get the cream inside that nice little sponge cake? But perhaps the most important thing is not grace understood, but it's grace experienced. Because when you come to the intersection of grace and me, you have to answer this question. Do I believe in grace? When I'm getting ready to go right, and the one that I am listening to and tuned into says, no, go left and do it now, what do I do? Well, it all depends. Do you trust the voice that's giving you direction? And I just wonder. After hearing God speak about grace all year long, do we actually believe in it or not? I hope so. Because if we miss grace, then we miss everything. If we miss grace, then we miss salvation. If we miss grace, we miss eternal life. If we miss grace, we miss forgiveness, we miss freedom. If we miss grace, we miss second chances and third chances and, and fourth and fifth. If we miss grace, we miss compassion for the poor. If we miss out on grace, we miss justice for the oppressed. If we miss out on grace, then we miss love for our enemies. If we miss out on grace, then we miss Jesus. If we miss out on grace, then we miss God himself. But you know, it's a crazy thought, I know. But I truly believe that we can begin to experience the grace of God if we are willing to believe that Jesus, the grace of God, came to this world to save sinners like me. If we can wrap our head and our hearts around that, 
then the grace of God becomes real. Because Jesus is salvation. And Jesus is eternal life. And Jesus is forgiveness. And Jesus is freedom. And Jesus is a second chance. And Jesus is compassion for the poor. And justice for the oppressed. And love for the enemy. And Jesus is God. Because at the intersection of grace and me is Jesus. And what a beautiful name it is. Do you believe? If you do, if that's your belief, then I would love to invite you this morning to come and call on the name of grace, to confess the name of grace, to come and be baptized into that grace, to live in the name of grace, believing that you have received eternal life. You say, but Chris, I'm not perfect. Oh, so you're telling me that you're a sinner. I've got an answer for you. I've got good news. Jesus. And he came to save you. If you believe that this morning, then why don't you stand and give God praise for the grace that we have received.